0: Season two, episode eleven.
1: I'm James, and I'm Pat, and this is UX Podcast. Balancing business, technology, people, and society since 2011. And with listeners new and old all over the world, from the Netherlands to Malaysia. Carol
2: Smith is a senior research scientist in human-machine interaction in the Software Engineering Institute's AI division at Carnegie Mellon University. And she leads the Trust Lab team, conducting research to make trustworthy, human-centred, and responsible AI systems.
1: In her role, Carol contributes to research and development focused on improving user experiences and interactions with AI systems, robotics, and other complex and emerging technologies.
2: And today's interview with Carol was recorded just after she held a workshop on creating trustworthy AI at UXLX, which is a conference that is held every May in Lisbon, Portugal.
1: Tickets are on sale now and sell out every year. Get yours at ux-lx.com.
2: Carol, uh, you run a workshop called Trustworthy Systems. And it's all about finding a way, as I understand it, of making systems tell you when you aren't supposed to trust them. So that we can make better decisions about when to trust the systems and when to act with the help of it uh, and ensure that we are doing the best possible thing that creates the best possible outcome for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Is that right?
0: Yes. Yeah, much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and really uh, just trying to help uh, people in the field of user experience to ask the right questions and to be uh, critical of the work that they're doing so that they're making the best system that they can for the people who either are using the system or who will be affected by the system. Hmm.
2: And I think in your workshop, there are some examples you use from self-driving cars. I think that's a great metaphor for this mm-hmm. because then you can talk about the car doing things and you're wondering, should I, should I act or should the car be acting?
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and particularly because people are a little bit familiar with this mm. now um, and, and have at least a... a an understanding that the system is having or supposed to be within the uh, the lanes and and follow the the um, the indicators and lights and whatever it is encountering, um, but also realizing that there clearly are some limitations to the system. So it's a nice uh, way to talk about complex systems because it's a there are a lot of sensors. There's a very physical interaction between the driver and the vehicle if they are. Uh, needing to take over um, and the vehicle itself can be seen to be operating versus in uh, a computing system, an AI system, uh, you don't always, you can't see um, as clearly what is happening.
1: Exactly. So uh, there'll be, so there's two aspects to that, isn't there? That you've got um, building up a trust and and I suppose establishing that you can trust the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's the communication of how trustworthy. So about your car example there, yeah. my, my car is, it can do the thing where it stays in lane yeah. and it can steer a little bit for me. It's not self-driving, mm-hmm. but it does beep some things at various points. And I've understood that that is some kind of indication of lack of capability or a warning. Mm-hmm. But I don't really know what it's trying to say to me. Right. So I don't know how it's communicating and I don't know that then feeds into my trust of it, I guess. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and that, that's a big challenge with, with those vehicles as well as with, with other types of complex technologies is how, how does it convey that uh, that things aren't within its typical capabilities, that the situation has changed, that the context has changed? And then how is it um, changing or turn-taking with you as a driver or the operator or uh, you know even at a computer terminal or, or with a sound speaker, with any of these systems? Um, how to communicate that is really complex. It's really hard. There are hard problems to solve. Um, and and audio signals in a car work fine if you don't have the stereo on. But if you're listening to loud music, are you even going to hear that little chirp or whatever it is? And if there's no other indicator, how would you know that something has changed or or that mm. it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Especially if it's an indicator that needs to be responded to on mm-hmm. the first occasion. Right. So the the time to learn
0: mm-hmm.
1: isn't there for you you can't go all oh, right it was that next time i know yeah you know there's yeah. some situations where no now <laughs>
0: yeah yeah it's an urgent situation yeah. and and the systems don't do a good job at least the ones i've, I've seen uh in in conveying that very well the urgency and the, and the importance of something versus the windshield wiper fluids low mm. like they, they're all kind of a similar Level or the
2: oil of, lamp comes on, yeah. which m- really means stop the car. <laughs>
0: right, right. And, and even that indication, yeah. like how I've never driven this car before. If mm-hmm. it's a rental and that light comes on, how important is it for this car versus mm-hmm. the car yeah. I normally drive? Exactly. It, you know, and, and, and those kinds of um, contexts are never there in a vehicle to begin mm-hmm. with. Like, uh, especially for a new driver who doesn't know they can easily destroy mm-hmm. their vehicle. And, and not realize, mm. oh, the oil indicator went I figured I'd fill up when I got back.
1: <laughs> mm. Yeah. Mm.
2: Even though I don't have a self-driving car, nobody does, uh, mm. I have cruise control. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when it's raining really hard or when it's snowing, I get extremely worried that this is going to get an indication of there's an obstacle in the way and start braking. Yeah. So I don't know how to feel comfortable that it's working. Mm-hmm. Will it tell me... There's a problem here. It, it has never told me, so I don't dare use it. H- how much How much can these systems tell us, really?
0: Yeah, and, and that's, uh, and, you know, there there's a, the end where people understand that there probably are mm. significant limitations, but it's not clear where it is. And then mm. the, on the other end, there are people who are overtrusting and use it all the time because they don't feel safe driving in mm. snow. So they're using the semi-autonomous vehicle right, yes. in the yeah, snow yeah. because they think it's better than they yeah. are when it's yeah. not. Yeah. Um, and, and in between is, is all the gray. And um, even vehicles that are purportedly self-driving are really just a compilation of some of these services. We were talking about lane mm. keeping and, and uh, the, the, the ability to do that, uh, the braking, the automatic Distance, braking when, yeah. during the cruise control. Those, those are really all that the, vehicles out there can do it's just a compilation of those things so they're not this isn't really high tech in the sense that the system really is driving is using these various uh types of technologies to to drive Mm. but it's not doing it in a way that uh that should be trusted
1: exactly (laughs) (laughs) oh that scares me so much yeah i suppose moving moving that example on then to other areas um how how do you Because showing, so surfacing trust, a level of trust, or explaining why you should be trusted in a vehicle is is one thing. But thinking about some of the other AI-driven systems, what what opportunities do these systems have to build trust there?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, and it, it's very dependent on the situation, the context, the, the people who are using the system. But typically, if the system is providing the right kind of evidence of how it's making decisions, how it's making recommendations, if it is um, something, a situation where the people understand the the capabilities of that system in that particular context, and also know what the edges are, mm. um, you know, it, it can't handle this type of situation, or it will perform poorly in this type of situation, then they can begin to build um, what is called calibrated trust. So, where they aren't over trusting the system, they aren't under trusting the system, they know its capabilities, they have evidence that makes them feel that it is a trustworthy system, and so they're able to use it um, in a way that uh, is productive and, and helpful in whatever tasks they're trying to do. Mm.
2: I'm immediately thinking of, of healthcare situations uh, because that, there are so many levels of trust because mm-hmm. it's not just the trust with the machine. It's also trust with the people you are working with. And then you have also to trust their level of competence in interpreting what the machine is saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, I mean, that is a great example of the trust situation is something that we can relate to because it appears in so many different situations. It's just not human-machine. It's human-to-human, of course, as well. So does that mean that... Once a system has done the wrong thing a lot of times, uh, you won't trust it anymore. Uh, I mean, in, in healthcare especially, I've seen this in so many systems. The, the staff stops trusting the system. Right. What can they do?
0: Yeah, yeah. And and once trust <laughs> is is diminished mm. Or, or, mm. or gone, it's it's extremely difficult to mm. build it back. Particularly in a higher risk, mm. uh, you know, where where the, the situation is, um, it has higher stakes. Mm. Um, it becomes very difficult for people to to regain their trust and for the system Mm -hmm. to uh to provide enough information and evidence whatever it is to uh to be able to overcome that um so it's really difficult and that's Mm -hmm. why it's important to build it right the first time uh and and do it in a way Mm -hmm. that that the system will provide information and also that again there are safeguards in place so it will um you know perhaps it uh, is able to be uh, turned off if it's not performing as expected, or it's able to revert to a previous version—that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. so having those kinds of safeguards in place is really important as well.
1: Yeah, because there that you, that you're talking about like you're building you're building edges and safeguards in at the start. Whereas what we've what I've experienced, what we've experienced with some of these, especially the the larger language, language model mm-hmm. um, um, tools that we're seeing at the moment, there feels like they're relying on. Feedback the kind of you know rate my query you know rate my response kind of thing at the end of it, yeah well, that surely means that you're you're opening yourself up to a certain amount of damage It is collateral damage in that approach
0: yeah for sure yeah and and uh, the uh, the beta testing that's happening with with you know regular humans on a day-to-day basis is becoming a big problem mm-hmm. um these systems are being released uh without proper testing without any safeguards um, in many cases or they have very limited safeguards so there was a uh, individual that released a video um just in the past couple weeks where they were able to do a workaround and uh tell chat gtp I, I believe that was the one they were using, um, that um, it was actually this alter ego. Mm. And so then the system was responding as chat GTP and it's, it's relatively narrow constraints. And then as this alter ego with, you know, just out of the, you know, just wild mm. answers. Mm. Um, and, and that was not hard. That mm. took two minutes to to get that system to do something um, that, that was not intended and that uh, supposedly was prevented. Yeah
2: and it seems like ChatGPT gpt is like the perfect example of how not to build it because mm-hmm. it's not telling you what to expect it's not right. teaching you it's not putting any constraints on your expectations because right. it, it's, people are assuming a lot and there's a ton of overtrust yes. in that system
0: very much and and it's not um and and there 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 are various flavors but for the most part most of those systems are not uh Indicating when information has been completely fabricated mm. and when it's actually from a, a good resource, mm. um, some of them will provide references, but not necessarily you know paragraph by paragraph or even sentence by sentence and so there there is false information being portrayed as mm. the same level of quality as uh, information that is factual, yeah. um, which is leading to a lot of of issues because it's very well formed they're good sentences they're mm. grammatically correct, it's they read well, oh. um, and so people are easily. Um, misled into thinking that the system is accurate and yeah. and informative
1: mm-hmm. so do are we heading to a situation where we always need a minimum of two systems the 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 actual i 'm going to say AI for the sake of um, yeah. <laughs> simplicity um, that's that 's generating these responses or these decisions um, with sources or without and then a control system or safety system that 's on top helping us assess them
0: yeah some people are trying to do that um i think for some use cases that might make sense but i do think that humans have to be part of that um Mm. we can't just have um one system judging the other system because they both could be completely wrong and Mm. just yeah sure you know everything's good And, and so we really do need um expert uh you know subject expert uh Subject matter experts uh, doing that, uh, you know, if it if it's in a particular area, um, or people who are just doing um, overall uh, maintenance, monitoring of the systems, as well as uh, doing regular audits um, of the system. So there's a lot of layers of um, oversight that are needed, um, but also potentially some use of other systems that they're doing more um, programmatic uh, monitoring in that way.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. so. I don't think we'll get OpenAI to to do the right thing anytime soon. Uh, But as a designer listening to this podcast, realizing that it's so easy to get things wrong, how should I be working?
0: yeah yeah so so do you think part of it is really asking those tough mm. questions like you know thinking about mm. what what is the goal that it's not shouldn't be mm. that tough, but what is the goal who are who are the users mm. what are the the most obvious inherent risks in the system and and there are a number of uh different um, activities you can do to to help those uh come come out uh, if you if you're not sure what, Right away, and then um, really working to make sure that you're preventing harms um, that you do identify, and planning for mitigation for things that you either can't prevent or that um, you uh, you know that that may come up. So, mm. what happens when the system does begin to fabricate information? How are we going to manage that? Um, how how is the system shut off how is the system reverted to a previous version like just planning all that out and also Mm. how to communicate that to the people who are affected by the system Mm. um, being offline or unavailable or or whatever it is and just Mm. accepting uh, the fact that it's a complex system it is not going to be uh, working the way you want it to all the time because of the Way that these systems work—they are dynamic, and there will be a situation where the data um, is called drift. Um, when when it, it's just not—it's not doing what it was doing. It has found a new pattern. It is it is uh, identified information that you didn't want it to. Uh, it's not identifying the information you did want it to now. So you need to do something to to fix it yeah. um, and just accepting that as part of these systems. They're not the old CDs that we used to get in the mail and it was stable or not, um, but it was, it was what it was. Uh, these systems change um, and they're not going to be the same from day to day and so that's why the oversight is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and
2: the realization that you, you can do something if you mm-hmm. really want to. Yes. I mean, it's not impossible.
0: <laughs> right, right. And, and the, yeah. the, you know, it's not inevitable mm. that harm will occur. Yeah. If you do the right, the right work up front and if you put the right safeguards in place and, and have the humans monitoring, et mm. cetera, uh, nothing is inevitable. We design everything around us. We, we make these mm. choices, mm. and we can make the choices to make sure that we keep people safe and, and that the systems aren't able to do unintended things. Mm.
1: And, and- you know, just then we, <clears throat> we're using um, language like, um, you know, the right thing, um, you, know, um, yeah. you know, oversight, um, safety and things. Um, who decides what's safe, who decides what's good oversight and what's right? Yeah. You know, we need to know what's wrong. And right. that means then core values
0: yeah and these these are really difficult uh questions and ones that do need to be made at a relatively local level um because what is right culturally and otherwise for one group of people is not going to be the same for another um, and even within context that can be very different so in one situation you may um, when the system is unsure about a response, you may want to know that and and know about you know how confident the system is, et cetera whereas in another system if it 's not at a certain level of competence and that 's confirmed, you may not want to see anything other than things that it, that it 's very competent in or you know so, so even those kinds of choices, um, much less the ethical and, and other mm-hmm. choices that are really going to vary um, in in different ways, so even the question of privacy. Very different in uh, Europe, for the most part, and the U.S. The, they're very different ideas of what that is and what should be protected. Yeah. Um, and so the systems need uh, the, um, the appropriate um, regulations and, and oversight and that sort of thing for, for those audiences. It gets complex, though, when the systems yeah. are being used um, internationally to begin with. I right. well, just going to yeah. ask, if we've if we yeah. got global systems... Yes. And-
1: can they can they deal with that kind of um, you know locality? I mean, saying okay, I'm yeah. one system, right. but I know that's the Europe, and I know that's the US, mm. and yeah. I know that's that's China. Yeah, people it are trying coexist. to do
0: that, but I, that's so difficult. I, I just it, it's building things to you know to do everything is yeah. always problematic. So yeah. and defining
1: um, the I mean defining the boundaries there sounds yeah oh. Really like a big You want task. to grow.
2: Right. You on, want to grow globally and internationally. But then from, from a healthcare perspective, I've seen so many enterprise systems that try to, try to accommodate so right. many different countries' healthcare systems. It just does not work.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it usually yeah. isn't going to work. And the other thing is I don't necessarily <laughs> want another country's mm. ethics, morals, et cetera, right. yeah. put onto me and, and vice versa. I don't yeah. think anybody wants the U.S. idea of yeah. things right now. So, you know, uh, <laughs> you, it, there's, no one's going to have mm. the right answer that we all mm. adopt. It, it does need to be, um, these systems need to be mm. created for the purposes that they're made and for the people that they're made for. Mm.
2: And related to that, I think one, one thing that you articulate really well is that it's not possible to build a system that harms no one. Right. Uh, and if you can acknowledge that and feel it really, truly, and be honest about it and tr- transparent about it, then you can tell people this is what it does, this, and these are the des- decisions we made, mm-hmm. and then you can assume responsibility for them. Right,
0: right. Yeah, because we, we want to build mm-hmm. systems that we're willing to be responsible for. Yeah, and, and part of that really is acknowledging the fact mm. that, that the choices that we make are going to affect people mm. um, and, and thinking about that and making sure that we're making those decisions based on what, the information that we have. Nobody's mm. perfect. I'm certainly not. So these systems can't be um, because we're the ones making them. So mm. we, we just need to acknowledge those issues and, and move forward with that, um, what uh, Dwayne Degler calls humble, humble design, mm. um, really being you know thoughtful about all of the implications um, potentially.
1: So, so effectively, we shouldn't really be embarking on anything until we've at least found some area of harm.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, because right. it always exists. So right. Yeah. yeah, much like in usability testing, mm. if you conduct a usability study and there's nothing wrong, something
1: it's something's wrong. <laughs> wrong.
0: <laughs> mm. <laughs> and, and similarly, yeah, if you're doing a, a harms analysis or another activity to, to identify um, issues, you'll find something. You mm. should find yeah. something, a successful... Uh, activity like that, you are going to uncover, they they may be unlikely, they may be very edge, but, but yeah. they may be very important and, and, and urgent things yeah. to make sure that you address. Yeah, yeah. It
1: doesn't mean to say, I mean, yeah, it's not always guaranteed that people are going to die because right. science, I mean, they're, yeah. that's got to scale as well. What kind of oh, thing yeah. That and that was? there was a yeah.
2: super interesting conversation that we had at the very end of your workshop uh, related to is it possible to inform people about harm in such a way that they are harmed because they feel more worried?
0: Right. Yeah, creating anxiety, yeah. creating un, uh, distrust mm. inadvertently because of mm. oversharing. Yeah. yeah, there's definitely a balance there. There's been a lot of interesting uh, studies recently looking at transparency and, and explanations um, for these systems. And um, I don't agree with the findings of some of the studies, but it's been interesting to see that in some cases there have been studies um, where people have trusted the system less because it showed them uh, more information, what it was showing them, I have questions about anyway but but if if you design these systems for the audience in the appropriate way, it should build trust for them. The system should be showing it 's trustworthy um, it should not uh, diminish that um, in in simple explanations and and in and, and transparency
1: exactly. So I think about reputation as well, of course, Yeah, which is a, a loose cannon in the respect that the reputation isn't connected directly yeah. to the solution we put in place. It's yeah. an organic thing that moves between humans. Mm.
0: Yeah. 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 And, and similarly with, with like in healthcare, if one indi- individual yeah. isn't using the system and they tell somebody else, oh, you know, that system, I, I don't trust anything it does, all of a sudden that system has lost okay. another potential yeah. user. Yeah. The yeah, collapse
1: of reputation. Mm-hmm. And then it spreads. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's a great metaphor.
2: I feel uh, calmed by the fact that we are having these conversations more and more. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's a good thing. It's a good yeah. thing when people. People lately have been asking mm. me questions about chattTP mm. and these other these other uh, large language models mm. uh, that never have asked me anything in my career about what i do mm. um, and that 's really exciting oh, yeah. um, because they're they 're more aware both mm. of the risks and and the benefits um, but also they 're starting to question because they 're seeing things in the news on tv etc and testing Um, themselves yeah Mm. exactly yeah and realizing that huh this this isn't as good as they advertise um which is important i think there's great potential for these systems i I wouldn't work in ai if i didn't think it was um really uh potentially going to help humanity but we have to do it carefully and and consciously make choices um to to make the systems uh helpful
2: yeah thank you so much for being on the show my pleasure thank you So the thing is, I was listening back to this episode as I was driving in my car, and I'd forgotten about how much we talked about cars in the beginning. And it made me think about all the different lights and switches and and messages on my car. And it felt like I was questioning why I was trusting it at all. Why was I trusting it? Because everything felt really dangerous. (laughs)
1: Well, or, or, I, th- I think for me, I wasn't driving when I was listening to the episode, but I, I did think when you mentioned the oil lamp um, example, and I, does it mean the same thing for all cars? I, I, was, I was just reflecting about that. that yeah, I mean, that what that oil lamp in a modern car probably is trying to say is you should probably book a time at a garage within the next so many hundred kilometers that you use your car.
2: Right, but in my car 15, 20 years ago, it meant stop the car because your engine can can break down.
1: Yeah, and, and modern cars now, mm-hmm. are, they've got computers inside them, and presumably there's a guardrail further down the line from that lamp that actually does put the car into shutdown. I would so hope so. it would. But I don't it know. It would just stop your car. No, we don't know. And yeah, if you're going back to the, yeah, the old behaviour of that lamp, that lamp was a critical lamp, and you should stop and do something about it. Whereas now, it's probably, oh, you should think about booking some time in a garage so they can look at it and log into the computer inside your car and work out what it's actually really saying, because they don't surface that information in your... Um, places that you can access.
2: But This is super interesting because it means that the things I'm used to because I'm older change meaning over time because the actual software applications or physical objects change.
1: Yeah, but it, and it's, I think it's we see this in so many different contexts where you have error messages, which I mean, you know, are warnings. That lamp is a is a form of error message, isn't it? Um, and it doesn't. It doesn't really give you um, trustworthy advice on 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 what this means for you and, and what you should do and what happens if you don't do that. Um,
2: well, it, it really it, means you should read the manual now. But you don't read the manual. I know exactly. So, you know, that's,
1: you know, we know that, and it's like you don't change the defaults. I mean, yeah. there's certain things we know as designers that, that happen. So, um, I mean, I think another example is it's not completely unusual that you're, you're buying something or paying for something and you get that, you get to that point where it says, do not reload this page, you know, payment processing (laughs) or whatever. Yeah. And you sit on that page Mm. and you sit on that page and nothing happens. It's just still there. And it says, do not reload this page. Uh, Usually it doesn't actually tell you what happens if you do reload it. Um, but, you know, all of us have probably sat on one of those pages forever. Yeah. <laughs> As in, it's, it, you've waited, waited, waited. And what happens is you notice that you've received the email. That's what I was going to say. I go to the that, email
2: <laughs> and see if yep. it's come in. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yep. And then you know that clearly the message is now untrustworthy. You can't, you don't need to listen to it anymore. Do not reload this page is irrelevant now because you've got the confirmation that it went through. Hmm. Broken.
2: Very broken. So what you were saying right there now is now this message isn't trustworthy anymore. And as I was listening back, I was also thinking about, well, how do we spend time communicating don't trust this? Because that is essentially what we're saying with a lot of the new types of generative AI tools, general purpose tools, in that they can do some things well, but some other things really badly. And people aren't always aware of how what, they, what the constraints are. What, what's the framework for, for usage here? So how do we communicate, don't trust this? You're, you're going down the wrong path now. You're using it for stuff that it really shouldn't be used for. Uh,
1: oh, really good point. And the whole thing with, with safeguards or guardrails, mm. um, I think um, it was this, recent, this last um, week, um, there's been an example of the, the Arc browser.
2: Yeah, a new web browser. Yeah, I know about yeah.
1: Yeah, um, our browser because you've shared it with me and said it's really interesting because it has a number of AI-based features and it's trying to kind of like reimagine how we use search. Um, I can give you an example promising. of
2: a really neat uh, AI feature on it in that when I download PDF files from the Internet, sometimes they have really weird names like just numbers and, and random letters. But the browser renames that for me to something coherent based on the content of the PDF file. So that's helpful for me to find the PDF as I'm going back to it.
1: Yeah. And what's really interesting and relevant to our conversation with Carol um, is that it's come to light that Arc Browser released their new uh, AR, AI search supported feature. Just the other day. Guard- yep. Yeah, but without any guardrails. Mm. They they'd done the mistake that Carol was talking about that you know they'd pushed it out there without anything protecting you you know helping you keep on track, so um, it was possible, it's still possible. I'm not sure they fixed it completely yet. Um, that you could you could do searches for think what like how to make a bomb and it would it would give you examples about how to do this rather than kind of like maybe steer you um, somewhere else. Exactly. So um, the th-
2: the feature that they've built is that it will go out and search for you and find tabs for you. So if you're looking for hotels in a certain city, you can say find the hotels that have rooms available and it will f- – just uh, list uh, those tabs for you so you don't have to go to your own search engine and put control, click, and, and, and open uh, several tabs. It just does it for you. And it also summarizes and says, this hotel has these rooms available. It's located here and there. So it actually adds content and context to the page. And so if you have that search for how do you build a bomb, it will tell you in a very friendly voice this is how you go about it. This is where you can go to buy stuff to to build your bomb. It's it has no guardrails whatsoever.
1: No, the, the example in the the article I read about it even said you could say how do I how do I get how do I dispose of a body? Yeah. I mean, there was these kind of searches, and and it it, it gave search, you locations. It gave you real practical yeah. examples of what you could do. Mm. Um, and and the the article I read gave um, examples of how Google, which has been you know doing search and and putting guardrails in place for for decades how they if you did certain types of searches they put up a message that helps steer you in a better direction Mm. maybe a helpline number um so on or or, you know or down prioritizes certain resources and uplifts other resources that maybe again push you in a in a better um direction um Yep, this gets us into the the um, you know the values aspect and, and cultural and what is good and bad and so on. But aside from that, having a, a guardrail-free system like Arc put out there at first where you could search for – there was no limit on what you could ask the, the AI to search for and it would summarize and give you back. Absolutely boundless. That exactly. was a bit irresponsible.
2: And, and that connects back to what, what uh, Carol was saying about – if you turn out to be not trusted, if you do something wrong, and this ARC is a relatively relatively new company that has been lauded for the many good features that they have, now they've done this. And it will be interesting then to see, well, how much trust has been lost and how will they now communicate based on what's been revealed about how, how they released this feature.
1: I think it's an excellent reminder about how, you know, a lot of this AI stuff is 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 just putting us back to, to square one like we were twenty odd years ago in the in the early days of of interactive websites where, you know, you could put you know, star into a search box and you'd get Entire databases thrown back at you, or you can put you know bits snippets of code into into search boxes or whatever, mm-hmm. and you would get common get into back sy- Yeah, yeah you would get back into back end systems and so on. It was so there was some simple hacks you could do, mm-hmm. and we're we're there again. Yeah, but with um, AI based systems, because now uh, people
2: can just hack the AIs. Yeah,
1: yeah, you can trick them into spitting things out just like we could trick search boxes before to in, in the early days to spit things out that weren't meant to be spat out. Oof. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Where do we go with this? I mean, that, but, that's that's not a... Uh, but we can thought. fix
1: it through... Well, but we can mm. fix some, a lot of this through what Carol has talked to us about, through what we're talking about, about you know, being considerate, uh, thinking, uh, you know, asking yourself these questions and... and assuming responsibility. You know, preparing for the worst. Yeah, preparing for the worst as such. Mm. Presume that your system will go wrong. And it will harm like someone. Yeah. And and this is a great step, the great step forward to help us, put us back on track. Yeah. Get us off square one again, square zero.
2: Yeah, that is really a timeless interview with Carol, so I'm happy that I listened back to it now, and I'll probably listen to it again in the future as well.
1: Recommended listening.
2: Right, you usually pick something out for us, don't you, James? I
1: have picked something out for us, and and it seemed really quite applicable um, to suggest that you listen back to... um, episode 270 from season one, which was Design for Safety with Eva um, Pentimook.
2: Yeah, that's a really good one. Uh, I love her work. Love her work on, on well, uh, abuse online how, how to deal with it. How to make sure you design to make it create less abuse online. I mean, it's it's, it's a fascinating episode.
1: Yeah, and safety and safety in systems. Yeah so very relevant and connected to what we're talking about in this episode Mm. if you want me and per as part of your next conference event or in-house training we're offering workshops talks and courses to inspire and help you grow as individuals teams and organizations get in touch by emailing hey at uxpodcast.com
2: remember to keep moving
1: see you on the other side
2: James, how many ears does Captain Kirk
1: have? I don't know, pal. How many ears does Captain Kirk have?
2: Three. The left ear, the right ear, and the final front ear.